Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Hi, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Primal Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Kearns, catching up with, I'm very excited to say, Dr. Kelly Starrett. They call him K-Star. And he is a legend in the world of mobility and CrossFit, functional training. He's a physical therapist and a strength coach, founder of San Francisco CrossFit, and at the absolute cutting edge of peak performance and sports performance, not only for elite athletes that he works with, but also everyday people who want to do it the right way and preserve their health and preserve correct form and functionality when they're uh, pursuing these challenging, and sometimes narrowly focused fitness goals, especially endurance athletes. Uh, We had a great talk about all manner of topics. It was a wide-ranging conversation, and you'll get a load of this guy in the first few minutes. He is an incredible personality, a larger-than-life personality. He's been our amazing presenter at PrimalCon. We met him a few years ago, and as soon as he stepped foot to to begin his presentation, he captivated every single person there and had us in stitches with laughter and his sense of humor that constantly interjects all this cutting-edge wisdom that's very precise and accurate and memorable for how to do the most basic of movements and how that applies to all manner of uh, sports peak performance. So Kelly is the author of this amazing best-selling book called Becoming a Supple Leopard, the Ultimate Guide to Resolving Pain, Preventing Injury, and Optimizing Athletic Performance, uh, co-authored with Glenn Cordoza. And this thing has been number one in its category on Amazon.com for two years. It's an amazing book. I think the cover price is like $60, and you can get it on Amazon for something in the 30s, but it's basically a Bible, an encyclopedia for how to deal with all kinds of injuries, preventing injuries, doing things correctly. And recently, he, along with his co-author TJ Murphy, wrote a book called Ready to Run, where he applies these revolutionary movement and mobility philosophies to the often old-school and injury-plagued world of endurance running. And he has a lot to say on how uh, doing complementary movement exercises, such as CrossFit, kettlebells, other forms of strength training, yoga, Pilates, can have a direct application to improving your endurance performance and also keeping you healthier and less stressed. Um, Kelly is also... He has a doctorate in physical therapy, so he's kind of getting at it from both ends where he it treats injured athletes and also tries to get them stronger as a strength coach so they don't get injured in the first place. Um, he himself is a competitive elite athlete. He was a whitewater paddler and competed twice on the national team in world championship competition. And even today, still going strong. And he and his wife, who's also a competitive paddler, are training for the world championships in outrigger canoeing in Hawaii later this year. So enjoy this amazing conversation with Kelly Starrett. I advise you listen to it at 1.0 speed instead of 1.5 speed. I like to listen to a lot of podcasts at 1.5 speed because they're kind of slow moving, but this one is pretty heavy and you got to listen and absorb everything he says because this guy is on the very cutting edge. So enjoy the show. Thanks a lot for listening. So Dr. Kelly Starrett, you are a physical therapist and a strength coach, movement expert. So you kind of get to see both sides of the coin. You see the injured athletes, and then you also try to help people prevent injuries at San Francisco CrossFit and in your travels. So, and um, you're, miss- you're missing the crucial piece. <laughs> we are obsessed with going faster, you know. And I, I think that's, you know, it's interesting to, to say that we do both sides. Think of it as a continuum that we have a really excellent understanding of how to create healthy tissues. Now, right? We have an understanding of how to create better environmental lifestyle stresses or less stress. But then we have this 
this carriage that we've just been throwing exercise at for a long time. Just like, you know, it's the meat popsicle. You know, hey, let's just let's lift some weights and do some you know, cardio and that'll be enough. And it turned out that wasn't enough. You know, a little back pain in this country is a huge, huge multi-billion dollar problem. Um, you know, if we look at the, the ACL injury rate, it hasn't even changed in 20 years. Women are still tearing their ACLs at five times the rate of men. Like we just haven't budged that and it's because I think we really haven't looked at the mechanics, the physiology as a continuum and the, as you point out, because I get to go on both sides, it looks like a, a straight line. Like if, you, if you're running poorly, I can correlate that to why you're going to tear your Achilles or injure your plantar fascia or develop knee pain or have an impinged shoulder. You know, and, and, and conversely, that when we put you into better positions, not only do you go faster, but I get injury prevention in the bargain. And we have, we have really figured a lot of this stuff out. I mean, it's, it's a good time to be an athlete. And sorry, if you're in your 40s and have collected, or 50s and collected a lot of injuries, you know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just pretend like you're the generation lost. And we'll, we'll start with the younger people. But we we're, we're, we're really aren't making a huge difference. It's a good time. Uh, and it's never too late, I'm going to guess. Uh, no, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah. Thing, look, how about this? Like, let's take everyone's experience, especially around – you know, you guys do such a good job of talking about food quality and lifestyle stuff. Have you ever run into people that haven't been able to respond to the, the prescription of, of less stress and, and better sleep and more food? No. I mean, people, when they have to dig themselves out of the hole, it takes a little longer. But look, muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. They always come around. And we have never seen someone stop learning. We haven't seen someone not be able to improve function, improve the quality of that function. It just doesn't happen. The key is that you just have to put it on your radar as this is valuable. Movement as skill, co- competency. You know, and, and I don't think we've ever made the case for it until recently. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because compliance is such a big deal, especially with uh, intense competitive-minded folks that, you know, equate how many running miles per week uh, with performance and, and don't and look at that narrow picture and haven't bought in yet. So you guys are doing a great job first with becoming a supple leopard and now with ready to run, especially for the running, the endurance population, of showing how this stuff might actually help you go faster. Right. And do it longer. You know, at what point, you know, let, if you just take the running piece, for example, you know, we we regularly ask people, do you like to run? And there's just like, there's, there's two cohorts. There's like, yes, I love running. It's amazing. It's transcendent. And then there's people who are like, I hate running. And you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like saying I hate breathing or I hate, I hate being human. I mean, the, you know, you are designed to run. That's what you do. That is why we have the heel cords that we have. And you're designed to be able to do it until you're 90, until you die. So what happens? Well, we see just like so many other things, you know, People, as you guys know, and I and the listeners know, that people make better decisions when they have better information. And you know what we've said for a long time is just get out there and do it. Just do it. That's all it takes. And and good luck. You know, I hope you figured out the running technique. I hope you figured out. You know, you, you had normal range of motion. Your tissues were healthy. That you weren't terribly inflamed and dehydrated and a maniac. And and what we found was that when we made the case for running as a skill like any other skill and you, you can, excuse me, you can refine it. You can get better at it. And, you know, you've got to keep in mind that at some point as you get older, you may not be able to go as fast and you may not be able to be as powerful, right? The metabolic engine maybe doesn't get quite as hot, but it still gets hot enough and it still goes fast enough that you can still continue to refine technique and refine your thinking and refine your experience, you know, at at infinitum indefinitely. And what what you know, one of the the keys here is that you know we're modern humans, and one of the things that you know allows us to do is we can cheat our brains out. We can put on these expensive, you know, super thick shoes and go run like maniacs, and and uh, you know, be, and partly is because no one has ever made the case saying, hey, here's what running looks like, and here are the skill set to do it. And if you do this, you can do this until you're you're dead. And that and we have to we have to make that case. You know, when we look at people going into the hospital, you know what ends up happening is as people get sicker and older, their their windows, their physical windows get smaller and smaller. Suddenly they're well they're confined to the house, and then 
they're confined to the room and then you're into, you know, I mean, you just take things off the table and <laughs> I, I don't know if that's the way we should, well, I used to run, but I weren't my knees and I used to swim and then I'd sort my shoulders and I used to lift weights by hurting these discs and then, and so, you know, suddenly you're like, what can you do? I can do water aerobics in a 90 degree pool for 20 minutes, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, that's, that's not what it is. And we, we have really cracked the code on, you know, the nutrition. We know what the good physiology is. You know how to train it. So really the question begs then, well, how, what, what's it look like on a day-to-day basis? And that's, that's where we really put our energy into it because we understand that people are busy. They have other lives. And I, I like to compete. I like to go and I like to train. So, and I have a couple kids in a business or so. And when am I going to work this out? And how do I do that? And what's the minimum therapeutic dose? And you know, we've really worked hard to kind of create a schema where people can understand what the problem is without a healthcare practitioner right in front of them, right, without pointing it out. Because you need to be able to know how to fix yourself. You should have a basic understanding of how that works. You know, another thing that's appealing to me is I embrace this bigger picture than in my past when I was a highly focused endurance athlete and was good for very little besides swimming, biking, and running. And you made this comment on another podcast that this stuff can positively impact your life because you're approaching the challenge and the athletic goals that you have from a big picture, holistic perspective. So you're doing it the right way rather than just going out and pounding, pounding more miles and crossing your fingers or buying more expensive shoes to avoid injuries. Well, right. And you know, <clears throat> the model has only been set up, you know, we sort of, we call it sort of task obsession, one or zero. Did I go more miles today? Did I go faster today? And if, if that's the only way you're valuing the process, then we have issues. And, you know, as you know, you can just run yourself into a hole or, you know, and then once the building is on fire, you know, you can't just, you know, you got to put out the fire and rebuild the building. And like that takes time. It's much easier if you don't start the fire in the first place. But people just don't even have a, a cue. And, and here's, here's the, the issue is I, you know, I'm, my wife and I are trained for the world championships in, in outrigger canoeing right now. And we do, I mean, we're doing like five to seven brutal workouts a week, maybe eight. And, um, you know, the key is that your physical capacities are a moving target. And you should, if you like to run long distances, you should go run long distances. I totally support that. But if your body starts to change in a way where you're losing capacity, and I'm talking about fundamental human capacity, can you squat with your feet together and heels on the ground? Can you do that? Yes or no? And what we find is, as you know, that people can't do that. And so I'm fine with you spending you know, a million hours a week on the bike, but if your hip becomes brutally short and you're getting back pain and you can't run and you can't, you know, then whoa, 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 whoa. So what we need to do is give people benchmarks to it saying, hey, look, you're going to look like whatever sport or challenge. And, and that may even be I've been caught at work. I've been crushed under a huge load. I have a newborn. How do I – you know, what we should be doing now, pulling ourselves back to sort of this ready state concept, which is baseline function. And it should – I should spend some of those things. And at the end of a season, I shouldn't look very good. But I'm always working to get back. And the, even the, the, the strength and conditioning in the gym should be not just about getting you to do more work – but about repairing and restoring these movement patterns and function of your hips and ankles and knees and, and body. Uh, so if I'm sort of clueless to all this and I'm immersed in either it's a serious endurance uh, protocol going for the triathlon or someone who just has a gym membership, goes and climbs the stairs while they watch CNN and then goes home and thinks that they're, they're checking off their uh, fitness component of their lives, what's kind of a entry-level exposure like what what are some basic assessments like you just mentioned can can you do that or not and and how do we start well i think you know this is should be a conversation and you shouldn't have to quit your job <laughs> and become a monk and and you know go to yoga school and become a physical therapist you don't need to do that our model is look you're going to spend for every training session you you do or for every day you owe me 10 or 15 minutes of positional work, of mobility work. And when I say mobility, what I'm saying is mobility is do I have the motor control? Do I have the technique to do what I'm supposed to do? Do I, you know, when if you squat down and your knees wobble like butterflies, then that's a problem, right? Then we're seeing that you don't have the control on the hip to be able to stabilize your knee. And then that's going to be a problem on the bike when you run or you jump. It's going to be, it's going to be an issue. 
So there's always a technique. Does, does the person know what the stable position is for the shoulder? So, you know, if you put your th- arm over your head, right, straight up to the sky, you should be able to turn your thumb backwards, elbow straight, and the arm should basically be able to touch your ear. If you're holding a 100-pound a, a weight, you would have to be stacked perfectly over that position. And what we're seeing is that people don't know that full range of motion also includes having the, the elbow straight and having that thumb turn back. Right. Hold on. I'm, I'm in that position. And okay, good. I'm out. So there's an assortment of those. I think in um, Ready to Run, you give the 12 checkpoints of <laughs> declaring the person ready to run. Well, think about this. You're, you're ready to run. But let's create a ready state where we, we really aren't just operating in sort of shutdown capacities. And here's the deal. You, you're responsible for all of the positions. You're responsible because the problem – so let's say that you know, one of the things that we, we work on in the book in Ready to Run is missing internal rotation of the shoulder. So if you hold your hand out to your side and like, a, like a scarecrow and then bring your hand down towards your hip like you're doing that like – you know, like a, like a train railroad sign, right? You, as you bring your hand towards your hip down, your shoulders shouldn't translate forward. Your shoulders shouldn't pop forward in front of your body, right? And what we see is that people get, they start to internally rotate, stop, and the only way they can compensate is that their shoulder comes forward. So you think to yourself, I don't do any Olympic lifting, which is where we typically see that pattern of that high hang shape where the elbow's by my side. But if you swim, that shape I just described is actually the finish position for the swim stroke. And so if you don't have where we started arm overhead in a stable position and I can't finish, that means every stroke I take in a freestyle stroke is a compromised compensated movement pattern that I can do for many millions of reps until one day I can't or I'm losing speed and efficiency because I just don't have the available capacity to express what the normal range of motion is. If you're a runner now and you're missing that range of motion, what happens is that as your elbow comes back as you run, you're going to fly your elbow out like now you're running like C-3PO, right, with your elbows out. And now you're going to start twisting across your body and that's going to create weird neck problems and shoulder problems for you. And the issue here, again, is we haven't made the case sort of for telling people here are the baseline pictures of the things you should be able to do. That's the key. And you have time. Where would I start? Let's say, let's start with this. Do you, are your tissues normal? Let's start with that. So if you take any ball and put it on any part of your body, like a lacrosse ball or a golf ball or something, you know, one of our mobility toys, and you lay on a foam roller, for example, if you lay on it on your leg and it hurts at all, it hurts to compress, that tissue is not normal. Your body is not normal. No part of your body should be painful to compression. How's that for a shocker? And that, for most people, are like, oh my God, my whole body hurts. I'm like, yes. It's like the handbrake of your body is set on every single one of your tissues. And if you've ever seen an old hinge in an old house, there's a little pile of hinge dust underneath that hinge because that hinge is so tight. And that's what's going on with your body. So let's start with just saying, okay, are you eating right? Are you sleeping right? Are you, you, know, are you less stressed? Let's start taking a crack at your tissue health, and then we can start talking about your positions. So there's this performance component, like you mentioned with the swim stroke or a runner who's got poor mobility and is collapsing into the ground with every stride and has uh, uh, poor, poor um uh, explosive propulsion off the ground is missing because their foot's caving in and so forth. Um, and that's of interest to people that are into performance. But the general health component uh, to me is also interesting because you're going to fall apart even with making fitness efforts unless you uh, pay attention to some of these things. Um, I'm referencing my own example of, you know, I was a triathlete, I was competitive, I was. Uh, all in that game. And then after retiring, I thought, you know, I I should still stay healthy and fit. And so I considered myself healthy and fit because I could go out and jog for an hour or bike for two hours. And then what happened was slowly but surely, one by one, I'd have these uh, injuries come up like a torn meniscus and throwing my back out and being unable to walk for five days. And these new, exciting uh, 
sensations that never happened in my in my younger years. And then I had to wait, you know, I was slapped in the face and forced to awaken to the fact that I really wasn't a very overall fit guy and not even healthy, even though I could nail that narrow uh, parameter of being able to, to have my heartbeat and, and run along for eight miles on the trail. And I think a lot of listeners are probably in that category where they have some good things going for them, um, but they're missing out on things that they're going to be really sorry about when it's time to go get confined back to the room. And as you mentioned, that narrowing of your capabilities as you age. Well, what we think is, you know, hey, I just, I guess I have to go to the gym and lift weights and get strong. Well, how about this? Do you have a movement practice? Yes or no? And of course, we need to put you under a little bit of load. But the movement practice is Pilates, great movement practice. Yoga, amazing movement practice. CrossFit, my movement practice, unbelievable movement practice. If you just train solely with kettlebells, the kettlebell language now is complete and is a complete movement practice. You are forcing yourself to do all the things a human being's body should be able to do. That's what a movement practice is. And the problem is that we have confused exercising with a movement practice. And then some of those movement practices are excellent exercise, but it's not the same. And so, you know, what you're going to have to do, you're going to ha- show me. So when we work with really high level cyclists, for example, I don't care if they can squat heavy. I care that they can squat well. And it doesn't take very much load to challenge that squat, right? And so, but if I can get you squatting, so an example is we had a very high level cyclist. She's the best American cyclist in the, in the United States. Um, her name is Evelyn Stevens. She's just a superstar and top five in the world. And she was training with us this all last year. And, you know, she was like, hey, I, I really have to keep an eye on not getting bigger. And we were like, we agree. You know, this is about, you know, strength to weight ratio. And she's like, well, I'm concerned in the squatting. Well, I'm like, well, there's a couple things we can do. One is that we can manipulate how much rest you have in between. So, you know, we don't trigger because we can get you a lot stronger without getting bigger. But the second thing is <clears throat> let's squat to make sure that the cycling that you do, we can reclaim the function of your hips. And she was like, oh, that's why I should squat every day. I'm like, that's right. So it has nothing to do with necessarily using the squatting to get fitness, but using the squat to reclaim mechanical competency. And we've got now a pretty excellent, really basic language of what the human's supposed to do. And, and you know, if you ever go to PrimalCon, you know, that the, the three days of it's just play in that physical language. And when people come face-to-face with what they're supposed to be able to do, it's a shocker because we haven't really ever asked people to, to fully embody themselves. So that's why it's important to put yourself under load because you identify those weak links or improve that um, functionality when you're challenged in that manner. Like you might not be challenged pedaling your bike for 77 miles, but you go and do 20 squats. It's a different story. Well, you know, how about this? We put um, one of our coaches is working with a, a really a high school team, local mountain bike team, and they are phenomenal athletes, these kids. Big engines, super, super fast. You know, he said, hey, we're going to do 10, 8, 6, 4, 2. That's very, that's 30 reps of air squatting, just squatting near air weight, body weight, and 30 push ups. If you're a 17 year old male, you should be able to do 30 push ups, right? You're a varsity biker. And those kids, you know, and that's doing 10, 10, right? Eight, eight, six, six, four, two. Those kids were crushed when <laughs> their legs were shaking and they're crushed doing 30 air squats. And, you know, and what we're looking at then is, as we saw, it doesn't just have to be some load. It can also be a little cardiorespiratory demand. Hey, I'm going to have you breathe hard. Now show me that nice stiff legged deadlift, you know, like, like a good example. I took a yogi in our gym and I was like, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to have you sprint on this bike. And so I sprinted her until she was like feeling queasy. And I was like, now show me how awesome your downward dog is. And her downward dog looked like crap. And I was like, oh, so you can only do your downward dog when your heart rate is low and you're in a perfect environment. But that is not what it would be. How do you get uh, stronger without getting bigger for those concerned about that, endurance type people? Well, there's two things. You know, One is that you know, let's – let's start with a conversation that you're actually squatting correctly. So, you know, you, you, you know, let's just say that, are you deadlifting? Yes or no yet? Are you swinging a kettlebell? Are you performing some squats? Cause we're not even having that conversation yet. Then we're not, we're never going to get to, are you going to get too big or not? So on the first aspect is that if you're engaged in a sport, <clears throat> I challenge you. And, and if you're not 19, 
I challenge you to put on a bunch of masks quickly. Go, go ahead. Let's let me know. Like in what we've said to for the last you know ten years of our gym practice at San Francisco CrossFit is, hey, when you because women are like my wife even she's like I don't want to get big and bulky. And I'm like totally, totally. I agree. I don't want you to get big and bulky. Let me know when you start getting too big or bulky. And that conversation never happens. It never happens. So especially with our endurance athletes, if you're doing the high mileage, it's almost impossible for you to put on a whole bunch of mass, but it's not an accident. The best athletes in the world, you know, Mark Allen, you know, that guy, Dave Scott, you know, those guys have pretty serious strength and conditioning programs and, you know, they're under some load because it's the only way where we can sort of stimulate a bigger, more powerful engine, right? I need, I need a greater, I need more, I need a bigger swimming pool if I'm going to have more water in the pool. And then, and then conversely, it's also about making sure that your body works correctly and that you can also use that as a diagnostic tool because it's really hard for an average person to see what's going on when they run, but it's really easy to see as soon as I have you overhead squat a PVC pipe. So the average person, let's say, doesn't have any competitive goals, is not terribly worried about their next race, but they, they just want to do their body right and delay the aging process. They need a movement practice as step one. Yeah. And you also, I feel like you also need a soft tissue practice. You've got to start a conversation about daily maintenance on your body. You know, the, the, our motto at the Mobility Watt is like people have the right and the responsibility to be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. And so that way, when your knee gets stiff, you know, you're like, ooh, my knee's a little hot. Well, what'd you do yesterday? Well, I ran downhill for three hours. Okay. So w- what happened? So you, you work upstream and you're like, oh, my quads, they're magically attached to my knee somehow. That's weird. And then you, you lay on a ball on the quad and you realize how stiff it is. And suddenly you start to make these little patterns in your head. Wow, my calves are so tight. Wow. And it makes my knee hurt. I wonder if they're somehow related because my calves touch my knee directly via the calves. And when we, we have people starting to do that, one is that they start to develop a language of being able to fix themselves when, when they overdo it or were imperfect. And two, it also gets us finding the blind spots, as my friend Jill Miller says, is that you don't even know where you're stiff because there's no pain there, right? And, and a good example, when my friend is staying with us right now, his name is Matt Vincent. He's the reigning world champion in the Highland Games, right? And he is brutally, brutally, so I just watched him squat 500 for 10 reps on a fast day. No big deal, right? He went for a mountain bike. He is, he is a machine, and he doesn't necessarily have pain anywhere. The issue for him is he's got to find out where he's restricted, and that means sort of going on a hunt, and that hunt happens a little bit at a time, day after day. It's a big task to sort of get into this, but just like when we start talking about nutrition, we're like, hey, just stop eating sugar first. And then people are like, oh, I just that's first? I'm like, that's right. That's, that's first. And then let's drink some water. And then did you eat a vegetable today? And then, you know, I mean, we can kind of back into it before we start counting our macros, right? Well, it's such a, it, it takes a little bit more work and time commitment, but it's such a better way to approach this. You, you have a section in Ready to Run called A Better Day early on in the book where you're describing the, the <laughs> typical guy with popping the Advils and dealing with crossing their fingers, hoping their knee doesn't flare up. And um, to, to go on that hunt and that, that treasure hunt to you know, identify the functional weaknesses in your body and then know how to take care of them, like you say, by yourself on your own is, is really empowering because we've, we've put our, ourselves at the mercy of, of the healthcare system and even the sports injury system in general. Yeah, and it looks like a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> I, I, I get you. I get you well enough as a physical therapist. Look, you know, in physio school, I'm taught to get you functional. That means can you move around, get around with the, with your daily activities, right? And can I help you resolve your pain? That does not mean restore full function. You know, like there's a there's a dirty secret. It's called within normal limits, and that means eh, ish. That's eh, fine. You, yeah, the car turns on. It's fine. it's got brakes, right? It's fine. So. That's very different than, than having a, you know, a system that's normal and full. But that's not how we're set up. So the rest of it has to come on to us. What's happening now, and this has been really great, <clears throat> is that we're working with populations of people that have, are not – so for example, you know, eating cleaner in this primal model that you know, we're, we're really, really good at is really helps tissues to be normalized 
and it helps tissues to be much healthier. And one of the things that we've seen is we see, I see a lot less little niggly, you know, uh, tissue pathologies, a little, I, because there's not a, a raging fire burning in everyone all the time. We've snuffed that out. Why? Because we're eating food. Wow. Boom. Okay. So, so what's happened is we're starting to sort of tick things off the box. Right now, we're, we're, we talk a lot about sleep and we talk a lot about stress reduction. And now we're starting to say, hey, you know, there's a genetic component to this, you know? One of the things that I know you guys advocate for and we advocate for too with all our athletes is you need a good blood panel and you need to find out, you know, how do we measure diet and lifestyle? Well, it's hard to see. I, I look great. I have abs. I guess I'm so healthy. No, not really, right? Well, how do we know? Well, we, we cut you apart. We, we cut you in half, count the rings and we can tell, you know, if things are moving in the right direction or wrong direction. And, and it's important that we, you know, what gets measured gets managed. Of course, the oldest maxim on the book. But you know, now we're starting to say, okay, I can really make sense of this diet and life. But then we're also starting to add this genetic component, as this is really said, and it has been really profound. We're we're working with uh, a new company called Athletogen, you know, that is. Um, and we're also we also work with a company called GeneSolve, and both of them, you know, Athletogen is basically the idea of, hey, there are specific genetic markers that tell you about your own physiology that are actionable. And then this other company, GeneSolve, is from a sort of a medical access is saying, hey, do you understand, like we'll use my wife, for example, she has a mutation in this one gene called the MTFR gene, and it doesn't allow her to process folate very well. And so what happens is if she doesn't process folate, then she doesn't absorb your vitamins. And guess what? Her hematocrit drops. And so suddenly Juliet was like anemic all the time and she, you know, sub anemic and we didn't know why. And this is my wife, right? And she has this gene. So guess what? We can pump her up a little bit more folate. We can give her some B vitamin 12 shots, you know? And what we've seen is those are the kinds of things that we're able to bring in. It's first things first. Do you have a movement practice? Are you drinking water? Do you take care of yourself? Do you exercise, right? But then we can start to get a lot more sophisticated and that means that we, we're potentially having way more capacity and better life a lot longer. It's remarkable. So the genetic testing gives you sort of your starting point. Your, th- those things are not going to change. Juliet's not going to eliminate that, uh, that gene issue. But then with actionable behavior in daily life, your diet, maybe changing your exercise habits, then you go take a blood test and see how well you're honoring your genes, I guess you'd put it that way. I think that's a nice way of saying it, you know, and... And as, as the, you know, the cost of all these things has dropped radically, we have seen, you know, these, we've almost democratized. Like one of the companies we started with a long time ago, started by our good friend, uh, James Keene, it's called Wellness Effects. And he really said, hey, look, it killed him to be able to put a blood pest test together for himself, you know, for his physician. Like he's just like, hey, can we just test my testosterone? I just, like, I don't feel very good. You know, I'm stressed out. I just, you know. And the, and the guy's like, you're fine. Like, we, don't, we don't test those things. And, and, and so Jim really put – he was the first guy I knew that really put a package together of, of just blood tests that were really actionable. And, and it's difficult. Believe it or not, like we ask people, hey, get your vitamin D checked. Could you just do that for me? Because we see that people are grossly vitamin D deficient, grossly. And I have professional athletes that we've worked with who are lean on the vitamin D – we bump up their vitamin D into the normal ranges, and guess what happens to their testosterone? It goes up like 150 points. You know, like that's vitamin D. Like that stuff you can make for free in the sun, but we're not getting it enough, right? So what we're seeing is, you know, the, it, it's very difficult, was very difficult a short time ago to get these some of these basic testing, but now there are so many companies and it's such a good time. And it's not – Hey, let's catch all these weird variables that mean nothing to us. It's all stuff that's super actionable. Like it turns out, wait for it, I don't and should not eat bacon every day. Boom. How's that happen, right? It turns out that I don't process saturated fats as well as everyone else. I'm something we call lean paleo. So I eat a lot less fat than the kid down the street and no and I seem to do better and my blood test, blood tests show it. So we're building up a nice list of responsible things to do to complement our main performance goals and our, our, our main training. Um, one other thing that you've mentioned before is this well-put quote, desire to train as one of the parameters of how to decide how to 
how to go about your training. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Well, I, I, I love that you said that. You know, and one of the things that, ha- you know, I don't, I don't, you've been training a long time, you know, and I have been training a long time. I re- started racing mountain biking and skiing when I was, you know, in like the third grade, you know, a, a, you know, pulling soccer out, right? I mean, we've just been competing a long time. But one of the things that <clears throat> I know about myself is that if I'm really listening and then I have this really nice on and off switch about my nervous system that says, to train, not I'm a little sore or boy, I really am dreading this piece or I feel a little sleepy in the afternoon. No, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's the getting over the entropy of just being a human. But this desire to train component for us has been green light, red light. And if I listen to that, my Juliet, I'm like, Juliet, I don't want to train today. I'm burnt. And she's like, me too. And then we just don't train. We walk, we're a- active, you know, and uh, that has been, has correlated really well with all of the very advanced uh, heart rate variability metrics we've messed with. All, you know, it's been profound how, you know, you can tell some of these things, you know, and I think the great pitfall sometimes of the online training age, because it's so easy to get a, a program from someone, right? And I'm just going to hit these numbers and all I have to do is this pre-marathon thing, but no one is watching you run. No one is watching you eat. No one is, t- you know, really evaluating your sleep. And there, there's a Brian McKenzie, one of my good friends, you know, uses this little CNS central nervous system tap test. You can just get it. It's like a buck on the, uh, on the, the Apple, you know, world. And it literally you just tap the, tap the square. And what you'll see is that when you start to get cooked, you can't physically tap the square as much. Wow. You know, and that, that is really simple and actionable, you know, Hey, I'm burnt. I got bad sleep. What ha- you know, and one of the reasons that I th- I think it's really important that people engage in some kind of competition, go run a five k, have something hanging over your head, have a training goal, is that it f- it really highlights how important all the things that you know are important, like am I sleeping enough? Am I drinking enough water? Is my nutrition on point? Am I down regulating? You know, and what we see is that you know, for for me, for example, you know, I lecture about this stuff all the time, but when I'm not competing, I can just be at eighty percent of those things and still do fine. I get through my daily training and it feels good and I sleep well enough. But when now that I'm putting the pedal down a little bit physically, then the putting the pedal down really means, hey, I have to really pay attention, and that should then inform me of that when I'm really stressed. You know, if there's these other aspects of my life that are, are crushing me, work or family stress or travel stress, that boy, I can really kind of go back into hydration and sleep and and make sure that those things are controlled because they really do support, you know, what we, if we take exercise and then just substitute the word exercise for stress, right? Our good friend, like I said, Matt Vincent, he's, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm such a soft modern human. I have to create challenges for myself in my garage to like so that my body knows what it's supposed to do. I mean that's really what we're doing. But the goal always the goal of all this is obviously it's a it's important to avoid all the physical problems related to sedentary lifestyle and bad mechanics. But what we should always be doing is taking the best practices out of sport and applying them back into all the other aspects of our lives. And that's really profound. So that you know my mom, you know, was always a little anemic. Turns out she was allergic to milk. And when she finally found out she was allergic to milk, boom, her iron went back up, you know? And well, why did I get involved with blood testing? Because we were working it with our athletes. And, you know, that's technology that trickles backwards. And we've been really been able to do that and take sort of sport as Formula One and then take all of those concepts and spin them backwards, you know? And if, if my athletes are having a hard time after hard training or big games going to sleep, what do you think the same thing happens to the executive person or the busy person or the person who has newborns and is stressed out? And you know, we've got to give them tools to be able to downregulate at night. I mean, that's the same, same, same concept. Right. I think it's great that you mentioned that again, the, the application to general life, because one of the one of the things that I try to repeat to any athlete is, you know, there's there's so many gifts to be had from having this compelling goal and the focus and the discipline and the drive to to do it right. But in many cases, um, a compelling athletic goal can simply be uh, an outlet for more obsessive compulsive behavior instead of ideally what it could be is a vehicle for personal growth that applies to all areas of life. So if you're 
coming around with your endurance training and you're spending that 20 minutes per workout. What do we owe you 10 or 20 minutes per workout for mobility and drills and and improving functionality, knowing that, hey, I'm doing injury prevention. I'm increasing my uh, explosive takeoff by, uh, you know, having the, the proper form and technique. And you can easily apply that analogy to, say, the workplace where you come into work and the first thing you do is get out a legal pad and write down your priorities for the day rather than just jump right into answering email. That's like jumping right into intervals without a proper warm-up. Totally. I mean, I really appreciate you saying that. And, you know, one of the things I think is the problem, and this is certainly I can speak to this, is that I have an ego and I like to go fast, and I don't. And I like to lift big weights, and I like to take risks, and I like to ski a million miles an hour, and I don't like to suck, you know. But as I've as I've realized, you know, I, I'm not going to the Olympics, you know. I'm not like, why am I doing this? Really asking, getting to the bottom line, and it is, it is about personal self actualization. My wife, my wife is my training partner. We love to train together. You know, we're on vacation. Uh, it's our winter break with our kids, and winter, winter vacation means that we do a sport in the morning and then train in the afternoon. Like we love it. We love to train. We're just you know, but my you know, but the the point is that you know, realizing that I've got to play the long game, and by the way, the long game is how you win the short game. And and I think when we get people focused on that and not necessarily focused on did I do did I complete this five k faster, you know. Then, then we really start or we're having a conversation. You know, if the conversation is how many ring dips you did today, that's not a very good conversation to have. Except for your ego, loves that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you pointed out that, you know, uh, how, how many food control issues have I seen? You know, that, you know, I have, I work with a lot of high level gymnasts and, you know, they've just, they translated their eating dysfunction around gymnasts into food control around, you know, being paleo. You know, and like I was like, I'm like, hey, 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 like I see what you're doing there, you know, and, <laughs> and I, and I, you know, and, and that's tough, and I, you know, I, I'm I'm not making any statements about, you know, we all have those demons that way, you know, and I certainly, I'm sure, self medicate with exercise, you know, but with a movement practice, but you know, the bottom line is, you know, really playing this this qualitative game. And what you're going to find is that a lot of roads lead to Rome, and it's pretty profound. Yeah, speaking of that uh, rudimentary uh, dinosaur approach, my personal feeling is that many of the elite major sport athletes are kind of following that unenlightened path, where, and, and especially the, the teams and the whole system where the athlete gets injured, uh, they shoot them up with a painkiller, or they do some... Uh, you know, short-sighted approach and send them back out onto the field until they're finally chewed up and spit out years too early. Do you, I know you work with a lot of elite teams and that you're making progress on on certain levels with certain you know enlightened organizations. But what about the big picture of even the best, the Olympic and the pros? How do those guys stand right now? Well, uh, we have we have seen a shift, and certainly, and that's because you know. It, it, the, the, there has been a you know a change in the angle of repose, sort of, where you know there is a, a tipping point where people are are paying attention to more food quality, and we're we're seeing that the tide is rising. But you know, professional sports. I ask a hundred percent of the professional athletes I know, would you let your kids be professional athletes? And they say unequivocally, no way. This is a terrible life. Wow, which is really shocking. That's one hundred percent. That's that's high high profile athletes like. George St. Pierre, like these are the, you know, like the Muhammad Ali of their sports. And they're like, yeah, uh, I don't, I'm not sure this is a good life. And we get to sport and we've, we, we suddenly were constrained by the fact that we've got to get some work done. I'm a professional person getting paid. Uh, you know, I'm going to go compete and, and, uh, you know, and my, this is my livelihood and I'm going to make a whole bunch of decisions around that. But let's, let's take a spin back because we're, we're, we're having impact on those, those big, big organizations, and I mean like the biggest, wealthiest, fanciest sports clubs in the world are paying attention because we realize, hey, the, you know, these are athletes are commodities. If we, we have really healthy athletes, and then everyone does better, right? We get that. But what we're really seeing is that I, I can't tell you how many pros, pro strength and conditioning coaches I know who talk about how damaged the athletes are coming out of college. 
And so suddenly you're like, whoa, okay, so it's not the pros I need to work on. I got to turn and look back at college. And then you look at college and you're like, oh my gosh, it's really, you know, for example, there's a great Division I school football program uh, we're working with. And they told us that 50% of the, of the like the all Americans they were recruiting, 50% of the recruiting class can't air squat without pain in the knees. <laughs> So oh then you're like, oh, whoa, well, I guess I got to go back to high school. And then you go into high school and you're like, oh, you know, if you've ever coached a team, like it's a big task. You know, we got to, we got to get, got to get kids know where they got to go. And I can't control their eating. And, you know, I mean, it's a big deal, right? We still, you know, I'm watching this with my daughters. And, and um, then you're like, well, okay, how come kids don't know this already? And you got to go back earlier. And you're like, oh, there's no PE program. And one of the things that we have taken a big crack at is it, it's saying, where do you where do you start an intervention? You know, and my daughters know what good food is, and they're going to pick it up and spread that to their friends, and they they know you know that they walk and run with their feet straight. And there's some there's some very low low hanging fruit there, but one of the things that we're most proud of and excited about right now is we have uh, converted 100 desks at our daughters' elementary schools to standing desks, and what we have is we uh, will literally have converted the entire school by next summer. It will be the first all-standing school in the world. And what was happening is we were seeing our top athletes and all our soldiers were having – and executives were getting crushed by their chair. We were making all this inroad into getting them into more activity and not being sedentary and not being compromised by the, the sitting position. And then we turned around and one, one year, Juliet and I, last year we worked field day and we, we ran the sack race for field day at the elementary school and literally – Two out of ten kids couldn't get in the sack because they didn't have the hip range of motion. A whole bunch of kids couldn't extend, jump and extend the hip. And I saw a bunch of other kids who couldn't do a somersault. We were like, what is going on? This is like jumping in a sack, you know, racing your friends. And we were seeing that, you know, the, the, the environmental loads were overcoming the, the body's ability to sort of buffer them. So, for example, with the running story – you know, we saw that all the kindergartners run beautifully, barefoot, boots, doesn't matter, they run the same. But halfway through first grade, the kids start, half the kids start heel striking. And that's, heel striking is a pattern that just doesn't work. I mean, it, it will injure you. You can't do it without shoes. You can't sprint. Like, it's just, it's a completely an artifact of the shoes that we wear. And what we saw was that kids that had these beautiful motor patterns at the beginning of class, halfway through the semester, boom, they get, uh, they start heel striking. And that was because of the sitting. So, we, we are seeing that we can apply these, these global health initiatives at scale to all sort of cohorts and, 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 and areas of our society. And that's where we've got to make the change. That, that really is like that's the next piece. And we're, we're, we've got a nonprofit coming out called Stand Up Kids. With a, the website we'll launch at standupkids.org. We've partnered with Donors Choose in New York. It's so kick-ass. We're, we're, our goal is in 10 years is to get everyone standing in elementary school. That is fantastic because I work with kids with my running school program and see that same trend happening where, oh, you know, the academic standards are, are so important and, and we have to respect those. But, you know, there's a claim that there's not enough time to have kids moving. And then you have all that research about brain function and, and cognitive skill being directly tied in with movement and physical fitness. So there's no excuse. And I think you've uh, brought us up to a nice uh, culmination here, those those uh, interventions that you're attempting at all levels, starting with the kids all the way up to uh, the professional teams and elite performers that you work with directly. So, Kelly Starrett, you're doing great stuff. Keep it up. We appreciate you so much. I know we uh, have a hard time getting you out to PrimalCon, but that's what's so awesome about this podcast is that for perpetuity, we can go back and listen and replay this and get on the right track. Hopefully once is enough because you'll never get your time back from listening to me. But, <laughs> you know, it, it is – we're living in a place where you know, I think the consciousness has changed. You know, we're managing our 401ks. We're, we're taking more care of our health, the mechanics. We'll, we have – I feel like this is the first generation where we could really – you know, we're saying to people this is the first generation of the kids won't outlive their parents. You know, there's some really scary stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We actually have the tools – we can do this. I think we have the tech now and it's not, it's not about, you know, a wearable device. This is literally actionable, simple behavioral changes that we know go, go the distance. So we can get 
going with, would you like us to go to mobilitywad.com to learn about some of these mobility exercises we can do? Yeah, you know, we, we, yeah, there's a ton of info on Mobility Wad. You know, becoming a supple leopard, you know, bless it's a little hard. It's like a little book that could. It's two years out, out and it's still number one on Amazon and exercise. And the reason is we think that it's, it's, we tried to make a Betty Crocker cookbook so that when something pops up, you have a reference tool. You know, we understand that you're an expert in all aspects of your life and we're asking <laughs> you to be, we're asking you to be an expert in this area too. And so it's, it's okay to have a reference tool. Oh, and it's phenomenal. I mean, in my own personal case, just to expand your perspective, when you have something like, and I I called you over a year ago and said, hey, man, I got this tennis elbow from golfing. It's tennis elbow from golfing, very rare. (laughs) Um, And it it bothered me for about nine months, and I had to take uh, four or five months off. And you said, I'm going to quote you, unless you could exactly remember what you said. You, You didn't mention the word elbow, but you said, Mobilize your thoracic spine, smash the crap out of your forearm, and smashing is one of those uh, colloquial terms that you'll learn about when you read one of the books, but it means you know aggressively uh, uh, rolling a, a tool on there to, to work those muscles, and then do the voodoo floss strap. And in a week, my elbow was fine, hitting magnificent golf shots that are just short <laughs> of PGA Tour length, uh, but that will open up your eyes like nothing else, so... Kelly, thanks for spending so much time with us. Go get Becoming a Supple Leopard, which is the Betty Crocker cookbook, or you could call it an encyclopedia of how to how to fix your body and how to move your body. And then for the runners out there, um, which is great because hitting that population is is really important now. It's such a popular popular endeavor. What would you say half a million marathoners out there running last year? It's pretty amazing. Well, and yeah. I'll tell you what, if you're listening to this. You're already, you've actually already done the hard work. You've already changed so many behaviors and, and you're focusing on quality. And you, I mean, you've, these, this is now the lowest hanging fruit. You've already done the hard work. So, you know, might as well do it. Beautiful. And you're doing some hard work up in Lake Tahoe on vacation. So I, I wish you good fun with your next workout with your wife and daughters and continued success. Thank you, Kelly Starrett. Thank you, buddy. It's good to hear your voice. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet. Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support and much more with 51 research proven ingredients damage control master formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection order damage control master formula today at primalblueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom designed auto ship program